0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's d-h-a-r-m-a-media.com. Welcome everyone to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. Today we're talking about empathy versus compassion. And these are two concepts which people treat synonymously. But as we've been talking about, these are actually very different things. And Z, you and I talked a bit before the podcast. To make this point, you made it in a very typical Z way, where you took this crazy example, but the crazy example actually makes a lot of sense. You reminded me of the story of Susan Smith. And for our audience, if you don't remember Susan Smith, she was a woman in 1994 who murdered her three children. So she had three young kids. She piled them into a van, drove the van into a lake, and they all died. And it was this horrific, horrific incident. And as the cops started to dig into it, first she said it was a carjacking. She actually said there was a black man who carjacked her and drove the van into a lake. Later they found out it was actually her. And it turned out that there was a man that she was interested in. And the man didn't want to have any kids. He didn't want to be around her kids. So because she wanted that relationship and she was so desperate to be with this person, she decided to murder her kids. And when you hear that on the surface, you think, oh, my God, that's so horrible. This woman has no empathy. How could she not have empathy for her child or for her kids? And as you point out, Z, she actually had a tremendous amount of empathy. She had empathy for the man that she was trying to marry. He didn't want to have any kids. He was uncomfortable around her kids. So she did the most extreme thing that she could. She made the ultimate sacrifice. She took her kids and she drove them into a lake because she was so empathetic. So she made the ultimate sacrifice. She was so concerned about the fact that this man didn't want to be around her kids that she took her kids, put them in a van, drove them into a lake, and said, thank God they're gone. I've solved your problem. That's empathy that's being able to feel someone else's pain. And you wouldn't do such an extreme thing unless you were truly connected with what this other person was feeling. And Z, you made the point that this is empathy. This isn't compassion. She had no compassion for her kids, but this is empathy because she was on the same wavelength as this man that she was trying to end up with. So I heard this and I'm kind of scratching my head because on the surface, it sounds completely insane. But I couldn't really counter the argument. I got it. If we define empathy as the ability to feel what someone else is feeling, then yeah, she felt at an extreme level what this other person was feeling. She had the ultimate empathy. And so empathy is very different than what we normally think. It's not compassion. It's the ability to be in tune with the feelings of another person. Z, maybe you could break this down for us give us some more of a sense what is really the difference between empathy and compassion
1: sure vin i'll take it a little a little um, further than you took it using that case as an example not only was she empathetic to her suitor she was also empathetic to society the world that she lived in and the people she was around the community uh, her community and her social environment She knew the right words to say to drive these people to action and drive them based on their compassion index to hunt down every uh, guy that fit the description within a 50 mile, 100 mile radius. There are people still locked up uh, who were suspects in the Susan Smith case that had nothing to do with it. Because she knew what would trigger her community to act in a certain way. Not only how to act, but how to act in a certain way. She knew how to then take her empathetic self and trigger the empathy in her community and the degree of compartmentalized compassion. So they hunted all these people down, rounded random people up. A few people were jailed, shot, beat. That sort of thing before it even came out that she was the single person that did it. We see another case recently, I guess where you are. The woman was uh, letting some dog ransack the park. A guy asked her to put her on a leash. She knew exactly what to say to the police to get them to hopefully come and kill the guy. So empathy is the ability to read Perceive to have your uh, your antennas up to sense the behavior, the feelings, the action of people as you prod into their compassion matrix. Okay, so a good salesman is sitting across from you and he reads you, and he can sense your likes, dislikes, and what will get what he can get you to do to buy his product. A good poker player has a great amount of empathy for those at the table to be able to read and sense their body language, their body english, their the voice stresses, right? That's empathy. An empath can feel what others are feeling, which has nothing to do with compassion, though they oftentimes are put in the same category, they tend to work off of one another. Compassion in itself stands off on its own. It is often tied to empathy, but isn't necessarily measured by empathy. Compassion, co-passion, is the ability to literally take action or to, to experience a call to duty to take action for something that you are passionate about That is outside of yourself. Right? So empathy does not require action. It requires nothing but an understanding. That oh I get it. I see how this works. Oftentimes, you will see people in a car accident. And people will drive by shaking their heads. What are they shaking their heads? What are they saying? Better them than me. Nobody gets out to help the person. But everybody shakes their head. Saying I'm glad I'm not that person. That's. Empathy. Compassion is, oh my God, I see their suffering. I'm going to go there and try to relieve their suffering. I'm going to take action. Uh, You see day after day these various types of human rights events going on where someone's being murdered or shot on camera. And there's all these people with cameras filming and watching, filming and watching, filming and commenting. But how many of them took action? to stop the suffering. So for every, it looks like, I'm going to just throw out a number, it looks like for every million empaths, there's one compassionate person, an empathetic and compassionate person. So it's a rare thing. Now all of our discussions and all of our podcasts have a bottom line theme in the dispassionate observer model, is what... Can I do to improve my health and well being? Physical, emotional, socially, environmentally. It requires a working understanding of the physics of life, this phenomena we call life. So there are millions of empaths, and only a percentage of those are compassionate. Where compassion helps you is it draws you to action it allows you to witness yourself, give clarity to that, and provide formulas and strategies, strategies to improve your own well-being. Because if you know that you have regional or local compassion, you can work on that in the way that you work on it so that it helps nurture you and sustains your environment and your community. But in order to know what you have, you have to know what you don't have. So empathy allows you to create a way of indexing what you have and don't have. So let's take a, a empathy for example. You hear about the wars in the Middle East. Glad they're over there, that's empathy. Compassion is to educate yourself about the nature of war so that you don't find yourself a hapless participant in some great conflict. But that will affect all of your behavior. It takes a lot more intelligence to live a peaceful life than a chaotic life. So having that nice harmonious relationship and portions of empathy and compassion allow us to be more sustainable. Right now, we live in a time of great confusion. Our empathy triggers have been prodded and probed by the media and so forth. Nobody wants to get the fee, -fee. And we have no compassion for anybody that has it, because you don't even want to be around them. You don't even want to explore what's going on. Then there is the empathy cheers for the people who have to do it as a living, continue to work in hospitals. But there is little compassion when it comes to any imposition on your life to make decisions. So that inevitably leads to an unhealthiness. What I would say is using this understanding of empathy and compassion, identify where we're lacking, and then work on that. Compassion comes with it duty. Duty is a word that we don't really like because it feels like we're forced to do something. No, you're not forced to do your duty. If your duty is to show up at work on time, you don't have to show up on time. You'll lose your job, yeah, but you don't have to do it. You don't have to bathe your kids or feed them, but it is your duty because you have compassion for hungry children and you have a regional or or provisional compassion for your kids. You may not care what the neighbors are doing. You might have an empath, empathy for them that makes you want to keep your kids away from them. And I use this because I want people to really understand those mechanisms in our, in our psyche that affect our behavior, that allow us to, again, steward our own health and well-being. We, do, we tend to lack compassion for ourselves because we have not exercised compassion in general. Compassion, again, comes with duty. So because we haven't practiced being dutiful, it is very hard to be compassionate. More than half of the American population has pre-existing health issues. Pre-existing. What do we mean pre-existing? We have health issues... That we're walking around with that have undermined our general well being, so that when we ratchet that health wellness index up a little bit, we are unable to deal with countering diseases. I hope I'm saying that right. But you're walking around, you're medicated, uh, you have health issues. Uh, that are undermining your your well-being. You don't take care of them. You get it, you have empathy for it, but, but you don't take care of it. Until it is so bad that it robs you of some, another degree of your life that prevents you from functioning well, then you go to somebody who has empathy for you but no compassion and look for remedy, right? So by exercising the elements of compassion and duty, you're very good at that. You're good at first loving yourself, caring for yourself, and then because you're good at it, it doesn't take much effort and you can be that way with others. Not only can you feel their pain, but you can do things that mitigate their suffering by performing certain duties. And that then promotes not only your individual health, but the health of your greater community and all those elements that make life relevant for you. I recently um, had a friend that passed away of uh, Parkinson's. Renee was a wonderful woman, filled with love, compassion. I I, I was recalling her life, her son was talking, and, and I just broke down and my heart opened up and I, I sobbed for her. You know, I had this empathy for her, and I had great compassion for her son, so I offered whatever duty I could do for him that helped relieve his suffering. It's easy for me to do that because I practice it a lot. What it gives me in return is a fortification of my my Wei Qi, my immune system. It preserves my prenatal essence to not only be empathetic but be compassionate because being compassionate to him, whom I've known him uh, before he was even born, if you can imagine, it in the sadness and in the tears, it strengthened me and elevated my own condition. By missing out on that, you have a lack of energetic reciprocity, so to say. So there is a singular selfish benefit to anybody who cultivates compassion and acts on their duties associated with it. You follow me, Ben?
0: Z, I think this discussion is really fascinating because you're right, so often we confuse these terms. And when I think about a lot of people who go around saying, oh, I'm so empathetic, I can feel your pain or I'm so, actually, they might not say empathetic. They might say, yeah, I am a compassionate person and I'm a compassionate person because I care about other people, because I feel their pain, because I cry when I hear about people dying from coronavirus or I hear about wars in other countries. So people a lot of times mistake empathy for compassion and empathy is certainly a useful skill because if you're in tune with other people and you understand what they're feeling, You can predict how they're going to respond, and it doesn't always have to be in a nice way. So you brought up another example that I thought was really interesting. You can have a lot of empathy as a fighter, and as a fighter, you know that your opponent is going into the ring, and they're going to try and take you out, and they've either got a lot of animosity towards you, or even if they don't, they've got a lot of desire to put you down because that's part of the contest. And having that empathy helps you protect yourself. It might help you anticipate what they're doing. It puts you in a similar frame of mind, and it helps you hopefully emerge on top or at least protect yourself. So having the ability to feel what other people are feeling just helps us navigate this world and interact more fluidly with other people. But the danger, as you say, Z, is when people think about empathy, they're confusing that with compassion, and they're saying, oh, I'm such a good person because... I feel bad that someone else is in pain. Well, number one, do you really feel bad? Or to your point, is it more a sense of schadenfreude? My God, that's not me. So yeah, that's horrible, but at least I'm safe and I can go about my life and I can be a spectator to this disaster, but I can leave all of that behind and I can take a certain comfort and solace in the fact that I'm not in that situation. So you got the wrong idea of compassion and you end up just walking around feeling what other people are feeling with perhaps no resolution. So you're not doing anything to actively improve their lives, to improve your life. As you say, Z, that extends to yourself. And you might, if you're extremely empathetic and you direct that towards yourself, you might feel bad about all of the faults that you have, about your poor health, uh, about your weak mental constitution, about your depressing job, whatever it is. But that doesn't do you any good. I think that's useful, but that's only half of the equation. So you need that awareness, but then you also, as you're saying, need the inspiration and the passion to act and improve the situation. Or if you're not going to improve the situation, then maybe the empathy isn't that worthwhile. Uh, Ultimately, if you're not going to take any action and you're just going to go around feeling bad because you see someone else in pain, what good does that really do? That drains you without any reciprocity, without you improving yourself, improving your community, as you're saying, or practicing taking action so that you're better equipped to act in the future. So is that the right way to think about it, that empathy gets us in sync with our environment? Compassion is the ability to act on that empathy. And then duty is a natural result of compassion. If you are compassionate and you're acting, you express that in the the duties and the rituals that you go through in your day-to-day life.
1: Absolutely, man. I I always love the way you uh, frame it, the way you uh, respond to to our interactions. It's just beautiful because it really lets me flow. If you would replace the word feel with read when it comes to empathy, you can feel people. Let's replace that word and say, I can read people. I can read them really well. And that reading gives me directive and instruction. I can read the instructions. I can read how this device works. That's empathy, right? You can read it, even with yourself. You can read, and there are people that walk around, and they are burdened by unhealthiness, and they can read it. And it, and because they don't have compassion for themselves, they haven't exercised that. They haven't developed that mechanism of compassion it leads to action duty. Then they that is replaced with guilt self-loathing um, rage um, and all sorts of really uh, unsustainable negative emotions and which leads again to the opposite of good action they have negative reactions to themselves and then to others and they exercise that. When you add the element of compassion, it goes along with action and duty. So you get the diagnosis, you see the things aren't working right, and you have the empathy for yourself to have that read. But then from that read, you then come up with an action plan, which is compassion. Here's my action plan. I'm gonna uh, work on my diet. I'm going to start my life practice. I'm gonna be an example of that to others. And again, compassion isn't innate. It can be turned off and on. It can be provisional. You could have a range of compassion for those that you identify are beneficial to your life narrative, right? So we have certain people we call family and certain people we call strangers. We have certain people we call them, and certain people we call call that we call us, right? So, the more we expand and work on that compassion and duty, the more central it is, the more brilliant our life emanation is, and it affects your environment in a positive way. There's a there's an exchange in your ecological biome that becomes bigger and bigger. It is the relationship that plants have with the environment. So I've been recently getting into um, sustainable gardening around my house, growing the food that we eat. And I'm learning things that certain plants grow in certain communities because they have different water needs and different bugs like certain types of plants and don't like others there's a way that they can work with one another that is mutually beneficial, that provides abundance for everyone. You can't grow too many different plants in the same pot, but you can grow them next to each other with a slight distance because they have fungal tubes that process certain nutrients that you can't see that feed the other, and then the waste from one converts into compost. There's a whole thing that goes on. This nature has this perfect, harmonious degree of empathy and compassion. The way that the bugs and the plants read one another. And then the compassion to act to benefit their individual existence. And the sacrificing of their parts of themselves to transport their reproductive mechanisms through animals. is just phenomenal. If I take a lesson to that in society, and I'm not talking about this hoity-toity kind of way that people talk about empathy and compassion. I'm talking just real hardcore. How does it better me? It betters you because for one, you become with empathy, you become a better reader a better decipher of what is in front of you, who you're dealing with. With compassion, it causes you to take action that could be whatever is appropriate in that moment and the setup you have for your future. Your kids are yelling and screaming in the background, I feel you, I feel you, but I'm glad I'm not there because I'm going to go do that in a few minutes. You have the tolerance and compassion to bear with them. You go out and you work and you provide for them even though they don't know how to thank you for that. But you know that it is in the greater benefit of your immediate compassion biome to produce harmony in your family so you fulfill that duty. Even though there is not an immediate gratification for you you have learned to be gratified in duty, which is the highest level of gratification. is the gratification of knowing you performed your duty, as the Vedas said, to perform your duty. Now, duty, again, is one of those terms that is very, very difficult for people to hold on to. And I talk in this minefield of male-female relationships. It is the duty... Of you to support, provide, and encourage your family. That's your duty, Ben. as As a father, as a that's your duty. Whether you like it or not, that's your duty. When you have compassion, it takes that that is burdensome, that that is hard, that is, that is laden you, and turns it into something that brings you contentment. At the end of your day, you know, I, I did well by my family. The ego hears that, feels that, and I, I feel alive. It's like when they take a job away from a man and he can't provide for his family. There's an old Gil Scott Heron song called Pieces of a Man. And it talks about when his father got the layoff notice and tore it up and his grandmother swept it off of the porch, and she, she says, some, somewhat of the lyrics, I'm ad-libbing, but it says, I saw my grandma sweeping with her old straw broom. She didn't know what she was doing. She could hardly understand that she was sweeping out pieces of a man. His duty and ability to take care of his family was how he identified his existence, even though it was hard, difficult, back-breaking work. That work was made easier because of the fulfillment of duty that allowed the compassion to spread within him and change the endorphin response in his body, that even something hard, laborious, became something that gave him life and spirit. Take that away, it took away the energy of his life. So compassion and duty is something that elevates our life. The duty of the wife which causes the destruction of family when we don't fulfill our duty, is to nurture and tend the relationship she has with her husband. But people hear that and say, oh, I, I shouldn't have to do anything I don't wanna do. Nobody wants to do duty in that sense by itself, but you want the benefit of the compassion. You want the nurturing of the compassion. You want the elixir of life that comes from compassion. So you take that time off. You look at the clock. You schedule time out with your husband. You listen to him. He listens to you. There is uh, healthy intimacy, whether you're in the mood or not, because you show up for work, whether you like it or not. You feed the kids, whether you like it or not. You do maintenance on the car, whether you like it or not. You pay your bills, whether you like it or not. Those are your duties in exchange for a certain quality of life. So those are not subject to mood swings. So you know you have a checklist that's here, my duties. So the wife knows that her duty is I must tend to, because that's what makes me a wife. The word wife means womb of life. The womb of life. The source of life for my family. So my duty... As the source of life is to promote life. And promoting the general contentment, taking the edge off of the hard day, relieving the stress and duress of a hostile world that has no compassion for you or your family. You are the only source of that. So that quiet, wonderful, loving, intimate time is your duty. Whether you like it or not. So... Like they say, again, I've said this before, the old Taoist saying, the master takes bitters every day because every day is hard. The wife tends to her husband every day because every healthy man is hard. <laughs> I hope you caught that, Ben.
0: Yeah, I got that. I wouldn't let that slip by.
1: <laughs> so, duty and compassion, as we nurture that, it's good for our health. It's good for our emotional well-being. It's good for our spiritual health. It is good for our physical health. Before we do anything, we have to have compassion for ourselves. When you uh, go to rest at night and you've done your nightly abulation, you've taken your shower, your bath, you've brushed your teeth, you stand in the mirror and say, can, can I improve my health? Can I improve my health? You know you know what? I, I feel this unhealthiness. I, I see where I can do better. That's empathy." Now, I have compassion for myself, so I'm going to take action. I'm going to end this day. I'm going to have a good night sleep. I'm going to start my day right. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to drink eight ounces of water or more. I'm going to prepare for myself for the day like it's a new day. I'm going to also book out time that I can water the plants. The plant, the first plant I'm going to water is me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to tend to my daily practice. I'm going to schedule that in. as as if it's important as anything else in life. I'm going to schedule that in. And I'm going to do a workout. I'm going to check my vitamin shelf and supplement shelves and see what can I do. I'm going to take five minutes and research my health problem and see what I can do to do better. Because, you know, I love my family. They love me, and I want to be here for as many hours as I can. I want to be here. Not only do I I want to be here, I want to be present. I want to avoid the ravages of time and lack of compassion. It is my duty to share and give to them the best of me. It is my duty myself to have reverence and devotion for life. It is my duty. And it is my higher duty to have the bhakti, the ability to have devotion, for this precious life. And I'm going to show compassion for my God, my spirit, my, whatever I believe in the Holy Spaghetti Monster, whatever I believe in, and I'm going to go to that altar with devotion and gratitude. And I'm going to leave fulfilling my duty with, with with zeal, compassion, and take action. You Follow me Ben?
0: There's a word you just used present. And I think that encapsulates so much of what we've been talking about. And in fact, when I'm listening to you talk about empathy and compassion and duty, it really fits in beautifully with our bigger philosophy, because it's about being present. It's about understanding the environment, reading people, sensing what's going on, and marrying that with an inspiration to do something that fits with the bigger picture. benefits you, benefits your family, benefits your community. And that's really how we live. That's the way that we function optimally. When we are receptive to everything that is happening, we can take the appropriate action. We can do the things that are going to advance our objectives. And we can flow from one moment to the next, always enjoying the process without ever feeling burdened down or feeling like, oh my God, I have to do something. Because we have sufficient awareness and intelligence to know that the things that we're doing the passion that is inspired in us is actually serving our objectives. So even though we might be doing something for someone else, ultimately that benefits us. It makes us stronger. It makes a relationship stronger. It eases the daily friction of life, whatever the case may be. So when you start putting these things together, I think it speaks to our philosophy very powerfully. This harmony of empathy and compassion puts us in a position where we have presence we've got that peace of mind, we can see the world objectively, and we can respond accordingly. And it's funny, Z, as I'm talking about this, I don't always know where you're coming from. So when we first started talking about compassion versus empathy, part of my reaction was, why is this so important? If people think that empathy is, a, is compassion, is that just semantics? Maybe they're just using the wrong words. As we're flushing this out, I'm seeing that the harmony between the two is critical, because that allows us to be in tune with life and to move through life. And having one without the other doesn't do us any good. Either it puts us in a state of awareness without any resolution, or alternatively, if we have that compassion and we're just inspired and we're a spark plug and we're ready to go, but we're not in tune with what's happening in the people around us or our environment, then it's a lot of wasted energy. So really the melding of the two is what propels us through life and allows us to live in a way that supports what's important to us. So, see, with that, if we think about that as the backbone of our philosophy and we think about a harmony between the compassion and the empathy, a couple of questions for you. One, where do most people fall on the scale between being either having enough or too little empathy and enough or too little compassion? And once we can diagnose ourselves, what are the things we can do to make sure that we've got the right levels of both empathy and compassion and that they're working together.
1: Well, Vin, what I would say to you is most people don't have a life practice. They're not working on themselves. And the people that are building a life practice have not yet reached a level of personal mastery to build on that that momentum of compassion and empathy is benign it is neither good nor bad and i want to answer your question with more of a a kind of a story Uh, and and i hope that this answers it and let me know there's something that people have called the superman syndrome so all comic book characters are based on temperament and archetypes of people Uh, comic books are really interesting and the way they tell stories, not unlike Bibles and stories of fables and things like that. You have heroes and villains, but they're all us. So most people worship Superman. And let's say in, in this mythical world of a Superman. And they they love that Superman to save many people. He's the hero. They all have a lot of empathy for Superman. Very few of the people have compassion for Superman. And I'm going to apply this to real life if you give me a moment. So they'll watch Superman save the world many times over. Their world is filled with peace and harmony and their individual lives have been made better by Superman. Then the bad guy finds Superman's weakness. And he throws a brick on the ground that's made of kryptonite. And poor Superman comes to rescue someone's baby and throws the baby out of the way of the freight train or whatever it is. And the bad guy throws the kryptonite down. And Superman is robbed of his strength. He's crawling on the ground. He's barely able to take a breath. He's suffering. The crowds gather around. And they watch Superman crawl and suffer and grovel. They watch his life leaving him. They shake their heads in dismay and say, oh my God, poor Superman. He really did a lot of wonderful things for me. You know what? Superman changed my life. I'm the person I am today because of Superman. And they all swap stories about the wonders that Superman did for them. But you know what they won't do? They won't move that brick of kryptonite away from Superman and let him live. They won't do that. They won't take action. Compassion, requires action and their duty as a compassionate person as a whole person is to uphold their honor for him by not by witness but by action get your ass up and move that brick out of his way how that applies every day to life you know people come to me often and say z you changed my life i was not whole in you really did a lot. And I've watched many of these people grow, hundreds grow into just amazing people that have their own practices. But there have been times in my life when I was hit by kryptonite and they just watched. They just watched the suffering. They'll even say things, I would have helped you out. But if I would have helped you out, it would change my relationship with you. I've had even told people tell me that they hoped that I would have great failure in business so that I would always be available to them. So they had empathy for me, but no compassion. And as I've studied this phenomenon, in human, that's where I've come to today, Van, is that only a few people have the compassion, but that compassion is elevating. It's elevated me. My compassion. To take action, the action I took to fulfill a promise to my great teachers, doing what I do, it's allowed me to hover above a lot of things that would have destroyed many a person. It's allowed me to have a unique type of abundance in my life. I do not suffer from the Superman syndrome. Whenever I have seen your suffering, I have tried to mitigate it. In doing that, it is giving me another type of quality or character strength. That is why cultivating that harmony of empathy and compassion is selfishly beneficial. I sit at this day in my life, whatever I'm going through, I don't wish to be anyone else. There are no holes in my soul. So there is that great benefit. So I would say to answer your question, I think the same number of people have holistic compassion as do the number of people that have a healthy life practice.
0: And what about the empathy? We talk a lot about empathy and it seems that empathy is is something that society promotes maybe at the expense of compassion. It's pseudo-compassion where we just feel better about ourselves somehow because we feel bad about other people and it doesn't really do anything. But are are there situations you run into where people are too empathetic or not empathetic enough? I guess, is it about the level of empathy and compassion or is it more just having a healthy harmony between the two?
1: Empathy, like I said, is benign. Most people have a good portion of empathy. Uh, They have a good read on people. Um, They can see where they want to be, where they don't want to be. The void is in the compassion. Um, there's a gland in the brain that deals with the ability to empathy. It's like our radar. It's a very small part of the brain, and we all have that radar. You can highly develop it. They found in, 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 in great people and, and wicked people a highly developed level of empathy. Now, compassion is a completely different part of ourselves. And so it, it's really a, a different type of comparative so identifying your empathetic range and then understanding the layers of compassion. There is particular compassion and there is general compassion. Particular compassion comes with many provisions and it is contained it is it is uh, quadranted. it is it is limited. General compassion is unlimited. It attaches you to more cosmic forces, more parts of nature, the physics of nature, right? It's very different. General compassion, as the Dalai Lama said, is the one we want to really cultivate. Most people, we have a certain amount of provisional compassion known as general compassion. You care about your kids, you care about people you know, but you don't give a damn about anybody else. And in that limiting of it, it also has a point where it gets stale. It's, it, it is unlike, it's not unlike the situation where if you find a person who is generally abusive, they tend to be provisionally abusive to family members. So you have these this on and off switch of compassion, which is, a, like I said, it's a very limited thing and it goes stale pretty quickly. You care about them, but not them. What if you had that same empathy for all and your heart was open compassionately? It would actually bring you a higher energetic frequency because then you you have a, a, a better tool of managing and navigating your life. Not unlike plants that have fungal tubes that communicate and exchange needed resources with other plants. So when you're like that and you have your own energetic fungal tubes, you have a broader range of people you can deal with and who would call you friend or feel a sense of nurturing and trust for you. And in turn, that allows your life to have more abundance and sustainability. Does that help then?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that definitely helps. And as we talk about some of the impediments You mentioned how you need a life practice and that creates compassion. I think one of the other challenges to compassion is maybe it just seems too hard. And maybe we as a society are afraid of doing hard things because we've talked about how compassion is intimately tied to duty. So compassion is the inspiration, it's the fire that says you gotta go up and do something. And duty is the resolution of that. So once you have that passion and it's time to take action, duty is the prescription the steps that you take uh, to improve someone else's situation, to take care of your family, to take care of yourself. And as I think about this, I put my mind or I put myself in the mind of maybe someone who has a difficult time being compassionate, and I can almost hear the excuses going through their head. Uh, Things like, oh, I just don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Yeah, I'd love to do something, but it's too hard. I don't know what to do. It's not my place. I'm not the right person. So I think there's a lot of mental inertia that's built in and maybe it's habituated and maybe we just pick it up because that's how we've evolved as a society and because everyone else does that. And we don't have examples of people like you're talking about who have that nice harmony between empathy and compassion and are also living examples. So who go out into the world and take the action, do what they need to do uh, to benefit others and ultimately benefit themselves. And perhaps it's also because we don't broadcast those stories. So you have people who do that, and maybe they're doing it very quietly. They're doing it with their friends, their families, their communities. Or even if it's broader than that and it's more of a universal compassion, they're not out ringing a bell. So we've got two issues going on. Uh, One is that we don't have a lot of examples of compassion. There's a certain amount of inertia that we've all developed and an idea that we don't want to go and take action. Duties are just too much of an imposition in our day-to-day life. And the examples that we do have of compassionate people, perhaps those aren't the ones that are broadcast. So we just don't have access to those stories. The stories that we hear about are the tragedies in hospitals because of coronavirus, the random murders the car accidents, and we can sit back and nod our heads and think, oh, my God, that's so horrible. And we feel empathetic, but there's nothing we do about it. So that's not really an example of compassion. When you think about this, Z, in addition to the life practice, or maybe even if it's in the context of a life practice, how do we start getting beyond that inertia and changing our mindset so things just don't feel so hard we can get to the point where duty becomes more of a natural part of our lives. And when we free ourselves up and it's no longer that much of a burden, I think that's where compassion blossoms. You release the impediments and that natural compassion that you've been talking about starts to blossom and pour out to the people around you. Uh, What does it take to get to that state?
1: There's a few points you brought up as usual, Vin, and I'll say right away, and I, I was getting excited listening to that when you talk about the reward of duty, the rewards of compassion, the rewards of compassion and duty are not of this plane. What I mean by that is not the temporal, tangible plane. That's why people aren't rewarded for that. People don't get wealthy because they fulfilled duty and did compassion. They get wealthy because they are empathetic, but they're not necessarily compassionate. There is no Your reward for compassion and duty is quiet and intimate. Can you live with yourself? Do you love yourself? Are you truly loved? What will you take with you when you leave this world? Nothing, physical. But but right in that moment before death in those years or whatever, the richness of life is revealed to you in your compassion. The measure of your life is revealed in your fulfillment of duty. Those are the values that this world is not able to quantify and rate in dollars and cents. We do not reward heroes in this world. The hero's reward is in their own heart. They fulfilled their duty. It was the hero of the wife that was loved to the end. It was the hero of the father that was genuine love. It's the hero of the best friend. It's the hero of the common person that shared your life and gave a damn about you and cared about you and was there for you up or down on a good day and a bad day. If you're looking for worldly rewards, they don't exist for compassion and the fulfillment of duty. They just they don't for empathy. Yeah. You could do all sorts of things with empathy. You were able to read people. Uh, you, you brought fame and notoriety to yourself. You did all kinds of great things, right? You did all kinds of amazing things because you could play poker or whatever. And that's part of it. Or you could do something and you became a great influencer in social media. Um, there's, there's that reward. There's that reward. Um, And for some, that's a good reward. Um, So, yeah, so I wouldn't say that there is a, a worldly reward. I can't think of one other than you're alive and you can live with yourself. I have people that I admire so much who have just been there for me. And when I sit in their presence and when I exchange with them Uh, there's something that I feel, that I feel alive. I, I feel alive. Their compassion for me and their duty to me and my duty to them animates my life. Just like when you're with your kids and you're really tired or whatever and they do something so sweet. Not only did they come from you in a biological sense, but in your fulfillment of duty, you've earned the right to be alive. You long for nothing. You're not looking for more adventure, more excitement. You have everything right there. You don't need more. You are completely rich in the human experience. That's what compassion the fulfillment of duty does for you. I don't know how to put a price on that. There are other things that we could put a price on. If it's worth this or worth that, then that's good. That's a good thing. Money makes the world go round. Life is different.
0: Well, listening to you, it's interesting. And I'm thinking a lot of what we have to do to cultivate compassion is go back to our narratives, go back to our priorities, because hearing you, it's incredible. I just think about how backwards many of us have this whole life equation. We look at things that we can measure. We gravitate towards the things that we can measure, whether it's title, whether it's money, whether it's influence. And then we forget about basic things like, are you alive and can you live with yourself? Well, you know what? That's pretty fucking important. (laughs) I mean, what else is there if you don't have that? What does any of the other stuff matter? But we're so quick to disregard these things that you don't get social value from in exchange for things that everyone else is following And maybe that's where we get really mixed up because I think until we get those priorities straight, yeah, everything is going to feel like an imposition. And if your priority is you want to make as much money as possible, you want your name to be in the lights, and that defines your entire world, you're not going to do something unless you get something in exchange that gives you that money or it gives you that notoriety. And if you do something, you're not even going to be able to test out whether if I'm doing something, if I'm doing my duty, If I'm helping someone else, if I'm improving the lives of those around me, how does that make me feel? How does that build my character? How does that improve the quality of my life? You'll never even get to that test. It won't cross your mind because you don't attach any value to those benefits. Or even worse than that, you've never even considered those benefits because the dominant narrative is something that's totally different. So I think the life practice is definitely useful, and part of the reason it's useful, is it catalyzes this process of internal reflection, uh, which is, what have I been taught? What are other people telling me that I should chase versus what do I think is truly important? What kind of person do I wanna be? What do I find meaningful and fulfilling? And once we answer those questions, I think it clarifies priorities and frees up a lot of time. If I don't care so much about money, I mean, yeah, I wanna do well. I want to be able to support my family, but I don't need money for the sake of money then maybe I'm willing to work less. Maybe I'm willing to take time and help other people. If I don't have this false sense of urgency that, oh, my God, I can't just stop and interrupt what I'm doing and be willing to relinquish this plan that I have in my mind so that I can spend time with my kids or appreciate some chance encounter, then that shuts down an entire dimension of life because I feel like I'm on this linear path that I've created in my mind And I have to go from point A to point B to point C. So maybe that's the starting point C. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Uh, but does this really rest on some reflection, some clarity and priorities? And once we have that, that opens us up to doing things that in this world are uncommon.
1: Well, we talk about, again, we've said before, we live in an age where there is no right or wrong anymore. We live at that portion, that twilight of the Kali Yuga as we enter into a new era of humanity, going through this apocalyptic and chaotic season of the human condition. There is no right or wrong, good or bad. All we have to ask, is it sustainable? I have a very wonderful people in my life, and I remember oftentimes, as you know, trying to... Manage the business of human suffering is not a highly profitable business, and there have been times when there have been things have been tight, um, not sure where the rent's coming from and all that. And but you're fulfilling your duty, and you're getting the worldly, you're getting the cosmic prize, but not the worldly prize. And I, I had a person come to me and said, Z, I'm gonna sign up with you for a lifetime." Here's what I'm paying, and and I know you don't get into fighting and bickering over money. But I watched you, and I kind of heard rumor that you would have to move on and figure out things. But I I benefit from you in my life. You've improved the life of my family, and you've improved my life. I'm a person of abundance. I'm not that worried about money. I want to sign up for a life plan with you. And I said, wow, that's great. He said, no, what good would it be for me to sit on abundance, financial abundance, and I watch a person who has loved me to good health, sacrificed for me, tolerated me, shared themselves with me, and over a minor thing you would suffer. So I want to participate in the thing that brings good to me and has brought me to a good place. I do not have the Superman syndrome. I cannot enjoy my life and watch the life of people around me suffering. I can't do this for everybody, or I can't save the world, but I can I can preserve my world. And that's how we move forward. That's how we move forward. So that person has a life practice that is actionable, that includes duty and compassion. And I think next time we'll talk about sacrifice with that. Duty, compassion, and the sacrifice coming from the word, the sacred fire, putting yourself in the forge of life to be better.
0: Yeah, that's powerful, Z. I'm looking forward to our discussion next week on sacrifice. And if we think about some of the points that we've highlighted in this discussion. Just keep a healthy boundary in mind between empathy and compassion. Understand that the, the two are different. Z, as you've repeated a few times, empathy is table stakes, we all have it, it's neither good or bad. It's the ability to understand our environment, or more specifically, the people around us to read them. Compassion is the action, that's the fire. That's the inspiration that forces us to do something about the empathy, respond in a certain way, take care of those around us, do our duty. And in doing so, we get that cosmic reward. We build ourselves up, we build up our character. As you put it so bluntly, we can live with ourselves. So this is a world that's long on empathy, short on compassion. Let's make sure we have our priorities straight and really try to develop a healthy healthy integration of those two. So keep the difference in mind and cultivate the compassion. And that leads, I think, to a more fulfilling existence, a richer existence. Uh, And maybe it's not the material rewards, uh, but I think as you said, Z, it's a life that you wouldn't trade for any other. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at TheDispassionateObserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.